Mindfulness Mode 357. But what I didn't realize at the time was the exposure, the toxic exposure that I was undergoing. Welcome to the Mindfulness Mode podcast with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. If you like the show, please subscribe on whatever device you're using, whether it's Apple or an app on Android like Overcast or Spotify. I wanted to mention hundreds of guests have recommended books on the Mindfulness Mode podcast, and I've pulled together the 12 most recommended books into a short, quick, little 14-page e-book that's free for you. It's called 12 Must-Read Mindfulness Books. Any one of these books can definitely change your life just like they have for my featured guests. You can download this great free resource at mindfulnessmode.com slash top 12 books. So don't forget top 12 books is the code to put at the end of the URL. On the weekend, I was at the Archangel Summit in Toronto where more than a dozen high-level speakers and entrepreneurs spoke, including Brendan Burchard, J.P. Sears, Sally Hogshead. There were so many great people. There was a segment on nutrition, and it featured J.J. Virgin, Dr. Mark Hyman, Dave Asprey of Bulletproof Coffee, Dr. Stephanie Estima. They shared what you've been hearing here on the show. All kinds of information about what to eat, what not to eat. Like, for instance, eat leafy greens, eat seeds and nuts, eliminate processed sugars, get regular exercise. These are all ways to make your body and brain way more healthy. JJ Virgin said, remember, hunger is younger because she said sometimes we don't put enough space between our meals well today i'm featuring ralph sanchez who is passionate about how we treat our bodies as well he's passionate about preventing alzheimer's disease about boosting your overall health you can find him online at the alzheimerssolution.com You can get his book there, and his book is called The Diabetic Brain in Alzheimer's Disease. Get ready for a top-notch interview about health and nutrition with Ralph Sanchez. Hey, Mindful Tribe, we're here to talk about a very serious topic today, and that is the topic of Alzheimer's, and we're going to talk about diabetes, we're going to talk about mindfulness as we always do, and I have Ralph Sanchez here with me today. Hey, Ralph, are you in mindfulness mode? Absolutely. I've been looking forward to this very mindfully for uh, some time now. Me too. I am so excited to talk with you. I want to I want to just share a little bit with our listeners, Ralph, about you and what you've done. Ralph Sanchez is the author of The Diabetic Brain in Alzheimer's Disease, a book that connects the dots between type 2 diabetes, type 3 diabetes, and Alzheimer's disease. Ralph has spent nearly 2 decades intensively researching the risk factors of Alzheimer's and his passion is to share his insights on the AD pandemic and how it can possibly apply to your own risk for cognitive decline 
as you age. And Ralph, I know as our population ages, it's a bigger and bigger concern because what have we got if we don't have our cognitive ability, if our brain isn't working right? You know, it's just we're not going to have we're not going to have contentment and pleasure in our lives as we get older if that brain isn't working right. But first of all, Ralph, I want to talk with you about mindfulness itself. What does mindfulness mean to you? Well, one of the transformative experiences early on in life, um, when I was a younger man, that led me into medicine was the practice of meditation. And it's a, a mindfulness of practice. And the thing that was constantly emphasized in a community that I was in uh, was about um, being present. And so mindfulness, I think, in its essence, is about practicing being present, right? Being in the moment. You know, since my uh, days in that experience, and that goes back now, oh, over 30 years, lots of books have been written about it. I think um, the most recent one that made quite a bit of a a splash was Eckhart Tolle's Be Here Now, right? Yes. Uh, but there were many forerunners to that. Yeah. You know, I was inspired by people like you uh, recognize the name Ram Das. Yes, absolutely. Yes. I was inspired by Ram Das back in the 70s and an organization that he was with that was all about being in service and actually practicing mindfulness in service. Um, that was an organization called Seva. So the uh, Pasana which is a very ancient uh, practice um, originated from India, which is the original mindfulness um, meditation, if you will. You know, that's what got me started on this whole road. And, uh, you know, in in essence, it's just about being present, about being in the moment, about noticing what's going on within you in that moment and experiencing that moment. And, um, Understanding it, understanding it for what it is, being aware of what it is. Well, it's incredible to study mindfulness, but you've been studying the diabetic brain. That's yeah. your topic of research and Alzheimer's. What got you into that, Ralph? Well, I, um, through a series of circumstances, my meditation practice, the Seva group, I was going through, um, you know, a spiritual awakening, if you will, and connecting with myself in terms of what the rest of my life was going to look like. And I was in a landscaping field and had my own business. And in that landscaping field, I was um, pretty young and stupid and used uh, pesticides and herbicides uh, pretty liberally. You know, Mm -hmm. they were required for keeping plants healthy. But what I didn't realize at the time was the exposure, the toxic exposure that I was undergoing. And certainly uh, for the first a few years after that, I started to feel uh, not so good and didn't put two and two together, right? Um, eventually, that led me into uh, really trying to figure out what was going on with my health and myself and uh, started to look for natural solutions. I just intuitively knew that going to a doctor was not gonna be an answer, mm-hmm. right? Although I did seek the um, guidance and help of a um, 
you know, complementary healthcare practitioner. I lived in Santa Monica at the time. And uh, she helped me a lot, but even she missed the connection of why I wasn't feeling so good to, you know, my work, right? Um, well, that experience led me to continue to search, even though I was feeling much better. I continued in the landscaping field, but I was just really looking for a direction in life as well, too, that was more fulfilling. And uh, uh, eventually wound up in acupuncture school, a traditional school of Chinese medicine, because I really wanted to change my life and wanted to be in service, mm -hmm. uh, something that was spiritually rewarding. And um, I got a lot of help. You know, part of the reason I wanted to choose uh, medicine and Chinese medicine was to help myself, too. Not only mm -hmm. to take this body of work to help people, but to help myself as well, too. And my mind was just blown open when I uh, was in my first year. I go, oh, my God, this is just an amazing body of work that extends back thousands of years. Um, and then soon through that, um, I knew I was going to be in a complementary healthcare mode mm -hmm. uh, because I loved nutrition and I loved other paradigms like homeopathy and nutritional medicine. And the nutritional medicine model that I was really gravitated uh, towards is something called functional medicine. Okay. And functional medicine really took over my practice because it really gave me the tools the laboratory assessments where I could really dig in deeper, not only into myself, what was going on, but into other people's health issues, you know, and, uh, and looking at myself and really thinking back and putting two and two together, I go, my God, you know, those pesticides really had a profound effect on my health and was running across information. This was back, you know, quite a few years ago, this was back, um, in the uh, late 90s, early 2000 uh, period uh, that I started to cr run across a lot of information about how certain toxins have affected your neurological health. And there was a direct correlation between pesticides and um, Parkinson's disease. And so when I started running across that information, I go, wow, you know, I have a significant risk factor. That exposure was significant. And then I started to put... Um, two and two together as far, as far as my history, I had a severe, severe concussion when I was a young man. I um, ran into a telephone pole, fell asleep at the wheel, and had a very severe head trauma. Head trauma, even one, is a risk factor for dementia later on in life. You know, so when I started to put all of that together, I go, this is really um, an issue for me. And it's something that I got to really pay attention to and, um, and take control over as much as I possibly can. And so I got really busy looking at the information around these risk factors. And then I ran across a, a bit of information. Um, there's a mentor in my field that's very well known. His name is Jeffrey Bland. He's sometimes referred to as the father of functional medicine. Mm -hmm. Anyways, I was reading some notes from a seminar and he mentioned a marker, a genetic marker for Alzheimer's disease. It's called APOE4. APOE is the, ge the gene, and APOE4 is the genetic variant. Well, if you have that genetic variant, you have an increased risk for Alzheimer's disease. But it's just a risk factor. 
So when we're talking about Alzheimer's disease and these risk factors, we're talking about what's called late onset Alzheimer's disease, something that comes on in your 60s and 70s and 80s, right? Mm -hmm. There's an early onset, which is genetically determined, all right? And that you usually will have before 60 years old. There's nothing you can do about that. But that's a very small fraction of uh, like maybe up to 5% of the Alzheimer's cases. Mm -hmm. Late onset is the, is the uh, real deal. And as far as most people's uh, risk and um, it, it comes on later in life because of a set of risk factors. So exposure to pesticides and toxins, you know, um, of course, um, lifestyle is huge, you know, but what I emphasize in the book which is what happens to most people as they age, if they don't pay attention to their health, is that they start to morph into problems that relate to diabetes and um, uh, cardiovascular disease, right? Right. So when I started looking and doing my research, you know, more and more I started to see these connections about diabetes and heart disease mm -hmm. to dementia, right? And I go, huh. Well, if these are connected and these are significant risk factors and we have this other pool of risk factors, there's really a way to modify all this to get into a prevention mode, you know, where you can really look at these risk factors, see where you stand and start to take control over these risk factors, do something to keep them from just slowly going on into a disease process that's going to really severely affect your brain later on. We now know that Alzheimer's disease has a trajectory of 20 to 30 years, okay? So what happens in those 20 to 30 years, you know? Well, genes, uh, smoking, obesity, heart disease, diabetes, lack of exercise, they all start to morph into problems in your body and in your brain because the two are connected. So what goes on in your body, it's going to affect your brain to a great deal. You know, so when I started to read that, and then in 2005, a study came out that termed um, a, a molecular model of what happens in the brain as type 3 diabetes. And I go, wow, I've got to really dig into this. Mm -hmm. So for uh, the first uh, few years after that, there was several studies that were coming forth and examining that, that theory. And they were saying, wow, this is really a very fascinating approach to the understanding of what happens in the brain. It's an insulin resistance issue. So like type 2 diabetes is insulin resistance. You can't use glucose because you're more resistant to it on a cellular level the brain also has a very important interaction with insulin. Um, it's a little different than what goes on in the body. In the brain, uh, it also functions as a very important, what's called signaling molecule. There are receptors at the synapses. The synapses are the area where all that uh, information transmission goes on, right? Right, right. A lot of receptors in the synapse, and there's insulin receptors in there. And the way that insulin works on those receptors is really key to a cascade of mechanisms that are associated with memory and learning, okay? So if your insulin isn't working in the brain, if your brain becomes insulin resistant, then you start having a lots of problems in terms of this mechanisms associated with memory and learning. 
And so it's all connected. They're a little different, but um, underlying all of that, what's going on in the body and brain as well too, that drives all of those mechanisms is inflammation. And inflammation is talked a lot about in terms of all kinds of disease processes associated with aging, including heart disease and diabetes. But what a lot of people uh, may not be as familiar with, which is a kissing cousin to inflammation is called oxidative stress. The two go hand in hand. And so oxidative stress really just means that there is an insufficiency of antioxidants. Uh, your body generates antioxidants. A lot of people may have heard of glutathione. And so glutathione is really important for right. you know, preventing free radical damage, right? And some people have heard these terms, but that's what oxidative represents. Not enough uh, uh, antioxidants in your body that you're generating and not enough through your diet. Your diet is a principal source of antioxidants, particularly greens, vegetables, and uh, some fruits like berries. As a matter of fact, I'm just finishing up a second book, which is um, uh, taken from a model of uh, a dietary approach for the prevention of Alzheimer's. It's called the MIND diet. And uh, it's taken from uh, two other diets that they uh, morphed together, the Mediterranean diet and the DASH diet, D-A-S-H. And DASH uh, uh, represents dietary approaches to stop hypertension. These are very well-known approaches to uh, dietary therapies and issues related to heart disease and hypertension. You mentioned glutathione. Yeah. And so if you take glutathione supplements, is that a helpful thing then to help your brain be more healthy? Some people are going to need it more than others. You can generate plenty of glutathione through your diet. Okay. But, you know, say in my case, one of the things that I feel has really helped me to not only preserve my cognitive function, and try to keep it even uh, working into a, an older age. I'm now 69. You know, exercise is really an important part of that, of course, as I mentioned. But, you know, dietary approaches are essential. And if you're running into trouble like I did, when I started to realize all this, I started to get into a very heavy supplementation mode because I had some severe disease processes going on. Okay. And you need it just a little bit more than the dietary approach. Sure. So some supplements like curcumin and green tea, you know, can be really essential. And yes, glutathione supplements. I even take a glutathione supplement myself. Yeah, I do it's, too. I do too. Yeah, that's why I was it, asking it can about be really it. Really helpful. But um, that's why I love functional medicine because in functional medicine we can uh, get into what's called a personalized medicine approach. Okay. And say, hey, well, let's look at some labs and see what you really need. You know, do you need some glutathione? You know, do you have factors related to inflammation? Do you have factors related to oxidative stress that are putting you more at risk? We need to take control and we need to look at your diet. You know, if your diet is great and you're still having these problems, then we need to get into what's called nutraceutical therapy right? So nutraceuticals, you know, are supplements that are designed to have a more profound impact in how 
your body is going to function and support, you know, issues related to disease processes. So if you change your diet, how long would it take before that has a positive effect on your brain function? Through dietary yes. therapy? Yes. Almost immediately. Okay. Uh, now, you're not going to notice it, but um, you're going to start to, over a few months, when I've worked with people and they've come in for one health reason or another, you know, the majority of the problems associated with, um, you know, heart disease and diabetes and early on in my practice, I specialize in digestive disorders, you know? Okay. So all of those conditions and many others like autoimmune disease, they're largely, largely, uh, you know, driven by issues related to diet, you know, and in a lot of cases, what I am putting in the improved mind diet is some of those pieces that people need to watch out for. So in the Mediterranean diet and even in the mind diet and the dash diet, one of the things that's recommended is grains and grains in essence are very healthy foods, but not for some people. You know, and how would you know that? Right. Well, usually people that are more in tune to their body and how they're feeling with foods that they eat, they're going to start to make these relationships that dairy and grains and sugar, they just don't feel as good when they eat those foods sure. or they have what are called food allergies, right? Right, right. Food sensitivities. Well, gluten is a big one and everybody yes. knows about gluten, but they of really course. don't understand the profound impact that eating gluten, because it can be very subtle. In other words, celiac disease is like the nth degree of gluten intolerance, but it's a spectrum. In other words, there are sensitivities other than what's called frank gluten intolerance. You can be gluten sensitive and you can be reacting to gluten and have just um, um, kind of inconvenient health issues, headaches, chronic headaches, just not feeling so good, mood issues, skin problems, you know, not big digestive issues, but this gluten issue is driving inflammation, which over time starts to contribute to a disease process. And gluten autoimmune disease are very well established in terms of uh, a connection. So gluten can be a big issue for some people. So you can say Mediterranean diet or mine diet, but it's got grains in it. Right. And if you don't realize that you have a problem, even that healthiest diet. Now, the greens and the berries and the healthier foods are going to help to offset some of those problems, right? But still, you're going to be having an ongoing insult to your health by continuing to eat foods that don't agree with you. Well, let's talk about some more details of the improved mind diet. What are some of the big improvements you can make immediately? The biggest improvements is focusing on what the mind diet did is it took what it felt were the best components of um, the, uh, particularly the Mediterranean diet. Now, even the Mediterranean diet and the DASH diet will say, you know, yeah, there's nothing wrong with some grains and even potatoes. You know, of course, in certain uh, Mediterranean countries, pasta like Italy is emphasized, you know, 
But what I learned recently is that Italy is way ahead of the curve in terms of uh, gluten awareness. They test kids early on in childhood for gluten sensitivities. Oh, do they? And, yes. I didn't and, know that. And in, a friend of mine was going to Italy and, you know, I'm, I'm in this whole uh, community of practitioners. And I said, um, you know, so what are you going to do with your dietary approaches and the gluten issue? And he goes, Ralph, there's like all kinds of restaurants in Italy that are gluten free. They have gluten-free pasta, and you can go into restaurants that emphasize pasta, and they have gluten-free versions there. <laughs> I didn't know that. So you can go to Italy and still enjoy your pasta and whatnot if you need to avoid gluten. Fantastic. Yeah, it is fantastic. So anyways, um, in the Mediterranean diet, um, some of those foods may be a problem. So what the MIND diet did was it said, we're going to focus on a couple of things here. We're going to de-emphasize some of these other foods, and we're going to emphasize two foods, uh, leafy greens and berries. Okay. Now, it's basically a Mediterranean diet template, but uh, it eliminated the potatoes that usually is okay in a Mediterranean diet, right? And... Um, it uh, emphasized the, the berries and the leafy greens. And why leafy greens and berries? Well, two reasons on um, the leafy greens. The leafy greens have, and they don't go into it in the study, but when I started to look at that and go, why did they pick leafy greens? Well, they picked leafy greens because other studies have shown that um, women and men that uh, eat more leafy greens in their diet uh, have less uh, risk of uh, morphing into dementia or Alzheimer's disease. So the things that other studies have shown, similar to the Mediterranean diet, is emphasize a plant-based uh, diet. You know, lots of greens, lots of vegetables, and some healthy fruits. Uh, and I say healthy fruits because some fruits can be too high in sugar. Sure. And what fruits are they? Well, basically tropical fruits, you know, so, you know, mangoes and pineapple and things like that. And what about bananas? Yeah, a little high in the glycemic index. So if you're going to eat a banana or use it in the smoothie, have a half a banana, you know. And it depends because if you don't have issues with glucose metabolism or insulin resistance, there's nothing wrong with eating a banana, right? It's... Just these are issues for people that have problems they need to be aware of, right? So um, if you are, then you need to be aware of the glycemic index and the glycemic load, which measures the impact of those foods on how blood sugar is, you know, affected. Um, so the best low glycemic foods, uh, bar none, are berries. You know, blueberries and strawberries and blackberries and raspberries. So um, all of the studies have shown that, you know, emphasizing berries and leafy greens, vegetables, uh, just huge improvements in, in terms of not only cognitive health, but, you know, the prevention aspect of it. So when it comes to leafy greens, is it okay to buy a powdered product that claims to be leafy greens in powdered form? Is that okay? Yes, it is okay. If you're, not, if you're not one of those individuals that are good at emphasizing leafy greens and berries, then get it in a powdered form. 
it really is a tremendous way of supporting that. Uh, there's lots of good ones out there and others that are not so good. Um, some use a lot of fillers, you know, so look for a product that really emphasizes uh, greens and, and fruits, hopefully organic too, if possible. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes they dress it up with a lot of herbs and this and that, and it's okay. But, you know, go for the real deal. Go for the greens and the fruit, you know, and, you know, all the other stuff is really not as important, you know. So um, yeah. that's my recommendation. Yeah, awesome. Well, your book called The Diabetic Brain in Alzheimer's Disease is fascinating, but you are writing this other book right now about the improved mind diet, and I'm sure you're talking about all of these aspects, processed sugar, nuts, fruits, you know, all the things you've been talking about just now. Should we eliminate processed sugar from our diet? Absolutely. You know, it's something that... Um, parents should really start to indoctrinate their children on, right? Totally agree. Totally agree. Refined sugar is really one of the evils in our world, you know, yeah. and the problem is that, uh, you know, the commercialization, right, of foods and how they blast it out over on uh, commercials and whatnot just yeah. really just sells you on going out and buying stuff that is um, – processed foods you know that are laden with bad fats and bad sugar so many foods are yeah yeah there's nothing wrong with sugar in its natural form right and some people love honey little honey is okay but again it's all relative to your own personal health but processed sugar for the most part even if you're healthy if you have too much it's why you get unhealthy over time. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? sure. So, you know, I uh, was very abusive. Um, when I was a child, I used to drink a lot of Cokes, mm -hmm. you know, and eat a lot of white bread, right. you know, which has a very high glycemic impact on uh, your health. And then I'm more from, uh, you know, those sodas and um, candies and breads into beer. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and too much beer is similar in its effect. You know, it, it really drives a lot of issues related to um, sugar metabolism. For sure. So I started to pay a price, you know, and didn't realize it uh, until um, uh, I started to really think about, you know, what health was, right? And I started to exercise, and this was way before I decided to really change my life in a professional way. And so exercise and wanting to get healthier meant giving up some of those things, you know? And um, eventually, uh, I used to smoke as well, too. And so I gave up smoking, I gave up drinking, and had some occasional red wine. Um, but basically gave up those things because I was really vested and somehow uh, I saw my dad die of heart disease and that mm. was pretty profound for me, you know, wow. and I saw uh, what the problems were for him, you know, stress, uh, diet, you know, and a lot of uh, beers, you know, and a big belly, you know, so I thought, uh, as a matter of fact, I'll never get, forget a realization I had when I was sitting there in my living room in Santa Monica, and I was drinking a beer and smoking a cigarette, and um, I thought, 
this is exactly what my dad used to do. You know, he'd come home from work and he'd pop his beer and smoke. Of course, he'd smoke all day long at work. But I'm doing just like what my dad did. I said, I've got to change this. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm just going. And you did. And I did. That's, right? that's the incredible started. thing. You know, it's one thing to think about it. It's another thing to actually do it. So that's yeah. awesome that you were able to change that. Not only did you change that, but now you're inspiring people around the world to change their habits based on your books and your research that you've done. That's incredible. That's really fantastic. Thank you, Bruce. I really appreciate that. And, and that's always been my intention through whether it's been my practice. And now I have a virtual practice where I help people, but is to really guide them you know, to change their lives because a lot of people are just too busy. Yes. You know, it's, they're not oriented towards, you know, what it takes to be healthy. They've yeah. got a family. they got a lot of stress in their lives. they got work and whatnot. They need guidance. You yeah, know, they sure. really want to make changes. You know, uh, they just don't know what those changes should be. And they're actually, frankly, confused because there's a lot of information out there. All yeah. right. Yeah, and there is. some of it is contradictory. Yeah, you there's know, a ton of information out there. Right. Should uh, yeah. I take supplements? Are supplements worthless, like doctors say? <laughs> you know, uh, do I need them? Uh, can I get everything from my diet? Everybody says that you can get everything from your diet. And so, you know, they have a lot of questions like that. And they need guidance, you know? Yes, and they that's really where, do. Yeah, and that's where a real careful assessment of, you know, their lifestyle and their diet and doing some laboratory assessments is really useful. So Ralph, it's fascinating talking about Alzheimer's, how to prevent it, the the exercise and the benefits of diet. I always ask a question about bullying because I've worked in that field for 10 years and I want to I want to hear your take on it and whether you have a story where mindfulness would have made a difference. Well, you know, I thought about that question quite a bit, and I don't have anything um, spectacular to share about that. I had some experiences as a child, you know, where I was bullied a little bit. I was a smaller guy, and of course, you know, people will pick on you because you're smaller sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. And but I had good friends, and they were always around to uh, help take care of me if, if, if it was needed. But I was really good at standing up for myself, you know. So, um, you know, I think I'd like to share just a story, a couple of stories perhaps that um, might connect. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget the time I was uh, up the block from where I used to live in Santa Monica. And I saw this guy um, walking quickly down the sidewalk. And he had a dog on a leash. And it was a smaller dog. And he was almost dragging it. And the dog was suffering, you know, and I thought, this is not right. So I stopped no. him and I said, what the hell are you doing? This dog is not able to keep up with you. Uh, it was either an older dog or something like that. Yeah. And so, you know, what I'm saying by that is that, you know, I had the presence to, you know, intervene. And uh, I really made it a point that what he was doing was not okay. And um, uh, I think he heard it. He was, you know, he was very upset about something, you know. So um, 
what I regret was that I didn't take more control because he continued on. And I thought afterwards, he might have just continued on with that, you know, afterwards, you know. And um, I should have done more. I felt like I should have done more. I, you know, I had the presence, which is all about, you know, being in mindfulness mode to, to try and do something. But I felt I could have done more. And a lot of times when I think back about being present or not being present is about, you know, being fully present to actually see the experience through, you know, to a conclusion somehow and not just let it, you know, kind of take on its own life, but uh, just just see it through somehow. Yeah, absolutely. As we move toward the end of the interview, Ralph, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. Sure. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? Ron Doss was perhaps the biggest influencer for me and the whole community of people that he was connected with in the SEVA organization, S-E-V-A, the fantastic mm -hmm. uh, foundation that was premised on using meditation and mindfulness as a vehicle for service. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? It's made me more present. Again, it's going back to about being present. You know, it's about understanding those emotions and not being too attached to them, uh, allowing them to be, you know, um, it's not about, you know, shoving those emotions away. But noticing those emotions, being present with them, and just allowing them to have their life, but not to be attached to what they are or what I'm feeling about them. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. Well, whenever I get into an emotional state, the first thing I start doing is noticing my breathing. Because a mindfulness practice is usually centered about noticing your breath and your belly rising and falling. So the first thing I do when I get tense or stressed or really upset, so I start really feeling my breathing, really start noticing my breathing. Because the worst thing you can do in those moments is to get into what's called shallow breathing. You know, yeah, it makes everything sure. worse. It's, it certainly does. And I just want to ask if you can recommend a book related to mindfulness for us. Well, there's not one book that I've read that really inspired me early on in my meditation practice that I shared a little bit about um, Ron Doss and some of the books that he wrote at the time, which is Be Here Now. Yes. And um, uh, How Can I Help is another one. The other one is Grist for the Mill. Those were really centers of uh, inspiration for a large community of people that I was associated with in terms of using those, um, those models, you know, to keep us more in line with our intention and meditation practices. For sure. Are there any apps you can share which help with mindfulness, either for you or for someone you know? No, I, I not an app person. And I think the best um, tool instead of an app for people to uh, engage with that will support mindfulness and a meditation practice is a community. There's a lot of communities out there that are supportive in this whole venture 
of mindfulness and a meditation practice. And I know for me, it was just a wonderful experience to be connected with people that were um, not only uh, intending to do the same thing, but doing it mindfully and sharing that experience and getting the support from that community. So that's what I really recommend. I actually recommend an app called Get Involved with Like-Minded People. <laughs> I like that app, Ralph. That's awesome. Well, you know, it's been great chatting with you. It's such an important topic about how we can make make sure we're taking care of our mind and our bodies and, and so that we will have a healthy future. How can we connect with you, Ralph, and learn more about what you do and, and get a hold of your books? Well, uh, the books will be up on Amazon soon, so I've got them on hold, but they can go to the... Alzheimer's solution.com and they can start getting familiar with me there sign up uh, for my free membership uh, if they're interested in talking to me I have what's called a free discovery session there is a personalized consulting uh, tab at the top of the home page and they can click on that and go to my page where I explain my brain health consulting service and a free discovery session that I make available to people if they have questions or they want to find out more about what I provide in terms of a service and a program oriented towards health and uh, preserving cognitive function as you age. Fantastic. So Mindful Tribe, check out the Alzheimer's Solution dot com and you'll be able to find out so much more and definitely click on that tab and get a chance to talk to Ralph in person and as you can tell from this conversation he's very down to earth very easy to communicate with and chat with and I'm sure you'll have great benefit if you do that so thank you so much Ralph for being on the show today oh it's such a pleasure you know it's just uh really heartwarming to uh, engage with people like you uh, who are doing their own wonderful service in life, you know, through their podcasts and the information they share and the wonderful guests they have. So thank you for the opportunity and thank you for your, uh, uh, you know, opportunity to be here and to share with your guests. Thank you. All the best and bye now. See you, Bruce. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or episode number into the search bar. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen. Maybe it's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever. Hit subscribe and share. Subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Subscribe and share, share, share. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.